two other potential tricks and treats that we see. You know, manufacturing. Historically, manufacturing, uh, you know, is a potential canary in the coal mine, so to speak. But what we found historically, look at the last five cycles, when manufacturing peaks here in the U.S., you have a recession four years later. Okay, so four more years of growth before the recession. From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. Hello. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. This is Ryan Dietrich here this week and up in Boston, my good friend Jeff Bookbinder. Jeff, how's it going up there? Doing well, thanks, Ryan. Really well. Uh, first, happy birthday to you. Big day, big day for sure. And then uh, Halloween coming up. So uh, some folks uh, running around the office dressed up uh, up here and I'm sure down there too. Yeah. You know, first off, my birthday, that's true. Today is October 28th. It is my birthday. And a fun little market stat about October 28th, if you look at since 1950, the percentage gain or loss in this case of every single market day, October 28th is actually quote unquote the most bullish day of the year. So I always kind of use that little joke that I must have gotten the right industry given my birthday is usually, historically at least, you know, if compliance is listening, historically probably maybe the most bullish day of the year according to history. So that's kind of fun. Um, you know, the, this weekend was good. So just celebrated the birthday, went out with some friends, hung out with my, my wife and kids a little bit and all in all, survived. I'm 41, so I'm getting getting up there. It's not as exciting. 40 was exciting. 41 is like, ah, I guess I'll go to work today, you know? <laughs> um, I remember my early 40s still, although the memories are becoming a bit foggier every day. Uh, yeah, tell, tell me about <laughs> Enjoy it. Enjoy your youth. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, so what are the kids doing for Halloween? Do you know exactly what yours are dressing up yet? Yeah, we're going with a uh, sweet uh, theme. We've got a uh, ice cream sundae. Mm. With some, uh, you know, whipped cream on top, really, uh, really cute. That's that's one. Uh, and then um, my other daughter is going to be, you know, those inflatable guys that are outside car dealerships. Oh yeah, yeah, blue, around blue, in the blue man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why she got the idea, but my other daughter wants to be that. So we oh, got a costume that's uh, unique. Uh, that uh, will make her look like the uh, inflatable guy waving around out uh, on the side of the car dealerships. Well, that's cool. Yeah, my daughter, who's going to turn 12 in a couple of weeks, she's going to be an angel. Her friend's dressing up as a devil, apparently. Um, and then my two boys are doing uh, like a SpongeBob theme. So, yeah, anyway, so hopefully everybody has a fun week uh, trick-or-treating. If you have a birthday sometime this week, happy birthday as well. So, Jeff, let's get to it. Uh, no football talk this week. We talk enough about football, right? So we're not. We're going to skip that one this week. We're going to start off with what scares us, right? It is Halloween, so this week's weekly market commentary. Jeff put together a good one of some of the things that potentially could trick or treat us uh, the rest of this year. Also, hey, the Fed has a, a very likely rate cut this Wednesday. We're going to talk about Fed policy. U.S. dollar has was you know the quote unquote U.S. dollar has been strong this year, which is true. All of a sudden, it started the weekend, so we're going to focus a little bit on the U.S. dollar, which kind of ties in, honestly, with some of the Fed policy, potentially. And then the question, is this the best year ever? And what I mean by that is various asset class, classes are really doing well this year, and we're going to dive more into that. So, Jeff, again, first things first, it's Halloween, so let's start with our weekly market commentary you put together. The title of it is Market Tricks and Treats. Um, you know, the first thing you listed was a U.S.-China trade dispute. I don't think we can go a week without discussing that because it keeps changing. So what do you have to say about the tricks or treats of where the U.S. and China trade dispute or agreement or discussions lie right now? Yeah, that is no doubt the, the biggest potential trick, uh, I could confidently say. Uh, yeah, we have been talking about this a lot. situation hasn't changed that much recently, but we right. did have a little bit of maybe a, uh, a flare-up in tension in um, 
tensions late last week with uh, Vice President Pence's speech, you know, elicited a response from the Chinese uh, around um, human rights and such. The market was worried about a hawkish China speech from Vice President Pence. I think what it got was maybe a little less scary uh, than what it could have been, but nonetheless highlights the fact that this this uh, dispute is not over. Right? We have said before that there are a number of things that both sides could do to inflict economic pain on the other side. Uh, however, it is certainly a very positive development that, by all indications, uh, we're getting closer to what's being called phase one of an agreement to be signed, hopefully, uh, next month in at the um, this Asia-Pacific Economic Summit in uh, Chile. So uh, we still think we'll get there to phase one, but that's not the end uh, because right. um, you know some of these issues that are really important to the Trump administration, uh, intellectual property protections, um, subsidies of Chinese companies by the Chinese government, uh, a number of other things, they probably won't be solved. In fact, they're almost certainly not going to be solved by by phase one. So we have to get used to this conflict. However, um, this phase one agreement will probably take the tariffs down a bit, and that's really the biggest hit to uh, the U.S. economy and U.S. corporate profits right now is the uh, is the tariff uncertainty. Yeah, you know the way I kind of viewed it is like you said the there was a, it was had an aggressive tone to it. But remember last year, kicking off October, October third and fourth of twenty eighteen, Vice President Pence gave this very similar speech to the same group, but it was extremely aggressive toward China. This one does have a few olive branches, I guess. Also, we're going to talk about the Fed soon, but the comments long way from neutral from Fed Chairman Powell. Those two events, an aggressive Vice President Pence speech, and then um, a more hawkish, if you will, Fed kicked off really a rough October last year and the worst fourth quarter since the financial crisis. Now, Jeff, one thing that caught my, I guess, caught my attention under the service, Bloomberg report came out on Friday that China's going to look to buy $20 billion worth of agricultural products in exchange, potentially for no new tariffs, maybe removing some tariffs. $20 billion is actually exactly where they were buying agricultural products in 2017 before the whole trade thing started. So I don't know where this goes other than it's baby steps, but if the U.S. wanted them to buy more ag products from the very beginning, $20 billion is actually right where we started. Am I correct there, <laughs> if my math is right? <laughs> I think that's right, Ryan, but yeah. they're expected to do another $20 billion on top of that. Okay, Granted, great. that would be the following year. Hopefully they right, can right. come up with a faster timetable. Otherwise, you're exactly right. We're just getting what we had before. I mean, it's still better than staying below that. Exactly. But uh, that is going to mean that, um, you know, we really just need spin for the market to get excited about that because um, we, we really haven't made a lot of progress. Yeah. Okay. At least so, on that specific uh, issue. Totally agree. So let's go to our next tricks and treats. Uh, the bond market signals. You know, we had that inverted yield curve on the shorter end for about two months, give or take. Then the two-year, ten-year, which is more of the standard traditional yield curve when people hear the word yield curve, it inverted for a couple days there, uh, about a month and a half ago or so. But then we pop back above. Jeff, the yield curve is starting to steepen. I don't see as many people. Everyone was talking about the inverted yield curve when it happened a couple months ago. Um, you know, seventeen trillion dollars of negative global sovereign debt around the globe. Now the ten-year steepening uh, yield curves, really across the globe, honestly, are starting to steepen, and the U.S. is no longer beneath the zero line. We're above zero, so we're no longer inverted on the two ten. What do you think? Some baby steps in the right direction there? Yeah, probably more than baby steps, right? I mean, this is Good. a really positive development. 
uh, when the yield curve inverted the the spread between two-year and, and, and ten-year treasuries, uh, we said that um, you know the inversion had to be sustained to be more worrisome, right? And it hasn't been sustained. It was very right. short-lived, at least to date. Uh, and we also said it had to be fairly deep. Well, this was a really shallow inversion, right? We only got maybe five basis points uh, below zero, and now we're up, you know, making a run at 20 basis points, which I mean, doesn't sound like a lot. <laughs> it's a small number, 0.2%. But, um, you know, that's where we were for uh, a number of months before all these concerns flared up and, and the inversion happened. This is... This is very positive, and, and frankly, it's, it's even more positive because it's happened as y- yields have risen, right? We'd rather see bonds sell off. That reflects a better growth outlook, maybe even a little bit more inflation, with it, which at this point in time would be a good thing, uh, rather than having the curve steepen uh, because economic growth fears flare up and you have bonds rally. No, uh, exactly. I, I don't have too much more to add there. Good points. You know, two other potential tricks and treats that we see, you know, manufacturing. Historically, manufacturing, uh, you know, is a potential canary in the coal mine, so to speak. But what we found historically, look at the last five cycles, when manufacturing peaks here in the U.S., you have a recession four years later. Okay, so four more years of growth before the recession. Manufacturing peaked last August. Uh, now, clearly, globally, manufacturing is a major concern. You see the headlines. There are head, headlines or last week that Germany potentially into a recession in September. They're absolutely in a manufacturing recession, yet the German DAX is right near 52-week highs. So markets have a funny way of looking forward. That's one potential trick and treat. And then just geopolitical concerns. You know, we have Brexit, which continues to swirl. It looks like it's been punted probably to December. Nonetheless, that's still there. Um, you know, Hong Kong protests, Iran conflict with Saudi Arabia, Iran and North Korea's nuclear ambitions, and then just general Japan and South Korea tensions. All of those things are geopolitical concerns. And we, we discuss them a little bit more in the weekly market commentary. But Jeff, the last thing that we talked about, the, the trick or treat that I want to focus on, is the Fed. We can kind of combine this, right? One of the tricks and or treats that you mentioned is a potential Fed policy misstep, which works out well because this Wednesday, the Fed in all likelihood is again going to have the third consecutive 25 basis point cut. So Jeff, what do you think? I mean, what is a misstep in your view on this Wednesday, let's say. Well, what could they do to misstep and really throw markets for a tizzy? Well, it's too dramatic to call it a misstep, but if they pause but signal that a December uh, cut is likely, the uh, market might not like it. Right. But this is nowhere near where we were last December, right, where the Fed and the market were just on two totally different pages, right? Um, we have a little bit of market disagreement right now where – Maybe if you look out to 2020, markets think we'll get a couple more cuts, but the Fed itself is saying, you know, maybe we'll get one more, or maybe we'll get none. So it, it you know, it's um, there's a little bit of a disagreement there. But we actually think, and we say this in the commentary, that the that the Fed is going to do probably do a pretty good job of communicating this transition to an eventual pause in 2020, uh, and we will not see. Uh, something like what we saw last December. All right. Well, let, let's. I guess we can hope so, right? Hope is not a strategy. I'm fully aware, but that's absolutely the case. You know, one of the questions I get when I present 
is, you know, the Fed sure seems to be telegraphing things quite well now, right? We have, you know, the, it seems like every day a Fed person at some conference discussing what they're seeing. Uh, Fed Chairman Powell has his Q&A sessions now. I mean, it wasn't that long ago in the early 90s when the Fed would cut rates or raise rates and no one would even know about it because it wasn't a meeting, right? And now things are really much more telegraphed. But Mark Twain said, and we used this quote last week, but I want to use it again, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And let's let's look at this for a second, Jeff. I was playing with these numbers, and I'll probably write this on our blog, lplresearch.com, on Tuesday. So tomorrow this should be there. But historically, when the Fed does three 25 basis point cuts to start a cycle, it's fairly rare. You had three straight cuts of 25 basis points in November of 98, January of 96, and December of 75. Now, there's the old saying, don't fight the Fed. The returns a year later, after November 98, after that third uh, 25 basis point cut, S&P up 24%. In nine, early 96, S&P up 21% a year later. And then in the mid-70s, in December of 75, a year later, S&P up 15%. So I get it, only sample size of three. Uh, but still, I'd rather not ignore that. And we've said this before on a podcast. In 2001 and 2007, when the Fed started cutting rates, they cut with 50 basis points. You know, My personal opinion is, hey, they might say things are slowing, we're cutting, the economy looks okay, we're going to avoid recession. It's what they do. When they started with 25 basis point cuts, I'm sorry, with a 50 basis point cut like they did in 01 and 07, that meant they were more worried than they let on. Now we just have three 25 basis point cuts. If history repeats like it did in the mid-90s, they can be a slowdown, concerns about the economy, this time concerns about trade and manufacturing. Whatever those concerns are, the economy has had slowdowns before. We've had an industrial recession, just 15-16. Uh, we had a global earnings recession with, depending on your source, four to five consecutive quarters of negative year of your earnings growth. We've had slowdowns and it can expand and maybe we could be seeing that potentially uh, once again. If you don't fight the Fed. History says a 25 basis point cuts three times in a row could be uh, another positive. I mean, Jeff, do you think um, think we're on to something there? Jeff, you there? Yeah, I think so, Ryan. I think so. Um, don't fight the Fed. It's one of the most powerful mm-hmm. uh, market adages. <laughs> By the way, just to interject you, we have some, <laughs> we have Elsa, Anna, and Olaf walking around right outside my office. Oh, <laughs> okay. I, I, I um, looked at I looked at Terrence. He looked at me. I was like, wonder where Jeff went. But that, <laughs> I was going to make a joke. Terrence had cut that out. Maybe we'll leave it now. It's kind of funny that you, know, you were distracted because of. Uh, did you have candy to give him? That's more important than anything we're talking about. Did you have candy to give him? I hope. There's candy all over the place here. Okay. Uh, I, uh, they're going to be really disappointed, though, if they're looking for candy in my office because I just have granola bars. Well, maybe you can give they them some want, financial they advice. The health, they don't yeah. want the healthy stuff. Those, those, young kids, <laughs> those young kids need financial advice. Give them some of that. They'd much rather have that, long-term returns and stocks, outperform bonds, and give them one of those I, over a Snicker bar. I They'd love I, it. <laughs> I wish I was the age, you know, speaking of birthdays, wish I was the age of some of these little people walking around my office looking for candy oh. with these uh, adorable uh, costumes. That's funny. Uh, so um, where were we, yeah, Jeff? Just, we we really got on a we really lost track here. Where where were we? <laughs> Hopefully this is you going remember. completely off the rails. But yeah. the Federal Reserve um, is uh, clearly supportive of the markets. We have rate cuts, uh, probably a third one. You know, the odds of one on Wednesday are ninety percent right now. So you're talking about uh, it's pretty much in in the bank, uh, and that would be an insurance cut. Whether we get an additional cut beyond that. Uh, at this point, hard to say. Depends on the progress on the trade front, right? But the economy is not slowing dramatically. The economic data does not probably does not support uh, 50 basis point cuts from here. So uh, you've got, you know, the market likes Fed rate cuts. You just laid that out very well, um, and and certainly that is supportive. The market also likes gradual cuts 
so that's supportive. And finally, the market likes the Fed to communicate uh, effectively <laughs> and uh, for the Fed's message to align with the market's expectations. And I think we're going to get that. Again, there's a tiny bit of risk that maybe the, the Fed is a little bit uh, too hawkish or not dovish enough when it communicates its outlook. Uh, but um, certainly the economic data uh, has weakened a little bit here recently. And so they do have cover. Trade is far from resolved, still carries risk, and, and the U.S. economy has, has slowed a bit. Look no further than that manufacturing survey that we just talked about. Exactly. So, Jeff, let's move forward. We've got two more things we want to discuss, and we've got a little bit of time for each of them. So the U.S. dollar is the first one. You wrote a really good blog last week on LPLResearch.com. The title was More Red from the Greenback? Question mark. And, you know, the dollar's been strong. All of a sudden, though, it started the weekend. It's having one of its worst months in a long time so far in October. October, I know, is not over yet, but it's it's been rough. What's happening under the service with the U.S. dollar? Progress on trade is certainly part of the story. When um, global trade picks up, or expectations for global trade uh, pick up, that suggests more dollars sloshing around the world, and that leads to um, dollar weakness. When you have more growth overseas, and certainly the market expectations for global growth have improved a little bit over the last month right. or two, you know, based on the leading global uh, leading indicators uh, that we see. So uh, there's a little bit of that going on um, that has attracted investment dollars overseas. And then I think, you know, the interest rate differentials. So if the market expects, you know, more Fed cuts than ECB or BOJ cuts, right, the European Central Bank or the Bank of Japan, then that tends to attract assets to international economies, right, and put a little bit of downward pressure on the dollar. So there's a little bit of that. You've really got to look out. Um, if, if you just look at economic data today, um, sure, it doesn't really, or the gap in interest rates today between our rates and international rates, it doesn't suggest, hey, weaken the dollar, right? But right. if you look at expectations, you know, look out over the next three to six months, uh, there's some early indication that these trends might be reversing. So the dollar, you know, why do we care? Dollar can support U.S. trade because it makes our exports cheaper. Right. Uh, certainly, President Trump wants that part of the whole China dispute. And, and then um, it can also support international investing. Essentially, all you wanted to do the last decade is invest in the S&P and call it a day. However, uh, diversification, uh, the only free lunch in investing, right, you probably know who said that. We expect diversifying into international markets to be beneficial in the years ahead. It's just certainly had a long drought with the dollar weakening. That certainly uh, moves us in that direction. So we're starting to be a little more interested in investing overseas here now. Yeah, you know, adding to that with all of the Brexit talk, the British pound has been quite strong. The euro has also been stronger. So, you know, some strength coming from those currencies has taken away a little bit on the dollar. And if those trends continue, uh, we could see that, that those the trends happen. The euro get a little stronger, dollar get a little weaker. I've also said before, from a sentiment point of view, 
there's a lot of people betting on a higher dollar here. And from a contrarian point of view, things don't always play out for the masses. So, Jeff, we've got, uh, let's see, about two or three minutes. And I'll just kind of wrap it up with this. The question of, is 2019 maybe one of the best years ever? And I used, uh, wrote this on our blog, lplresearch.com, but I used the quote, everything is awesome when you're living out a dream. The Lego movie. Anybody remember taking their kids that first Lego movie, the song, Everything is Awesome? Kind of funny. And you think about this year, S&P's up 22%. Crude oil, as of last week, up 23% for the year. Uh, gold up 17% and bonds measured by the 10-year treasury bond um, up about 9%. Jeff, last year, all four of those assets were down for the first time in history. Okay, that's never happened. Now, data on crude only goes back to 83 and, the, and, and gold was pinned to $35 an ounce until the early 70s. But still, last year was historically bad. Last year was the first year since 1969 that stocks and bonds were down. Okay, so things didn't really work. Everything was not awesome. The Lego movie would not have liked last year. But this year, all those four up, and this could be, you know, you're saying there's a chance, to quote Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber, you're saying there's a chance. If all th- the other three stay up 10% for the year and bonds actually tick up 10% for the year, first time in history that all four of those major asset classes could have a 10% gain. Now, I get it. Disclaimer time. The fourth quarter, stocks are down 20%. Oil got hit hard. So, you know, we're just kind of almost in a way bouncing kind of back to where we were. And crude oil by no means is near all-time highs or breaking out. It's just kind of breaking the oversold uh, sell-off that it had. But still, for the year, all of them are up. So it's um, looking like a pretty, potentially a pretty good year overall for a diversified portfolio, like we said. So, Jeff, I'll let you uh, say a few words and I'll sign us off for the latest podcast. Take it away, Jeff. Yeah, this is a big week of data, right? Um, So look for... uh Jobs report, ISM report, and, and the Fed. So really pivotal week in determining direction of the markets. Um, and by the way, last thing, Brian, we didn't talk about yeah. the election at all, but we all know that uh, campaign season's uh, starting up. In terms of looking at what could give the market tricks or treats, um, mm. certainly we could see some policy changes uh, in 2020. Uh, so we'll be watching that uh, as well uh, in the months ahead. Yeah, the election. I guess we wanted to take a week off talking about it. Isn't it crazy to think it's still over a year away? So there's going to be a lot more to discuss. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we appreciate the, the continued partnership and listening every single week. You know, Shoot us a note at lplmarketsignalspodcast.com with any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want us to discuss. We love the uh, feedback. So with that, everybody, thanks a lot. We'll be back next week with our latest podcast. And enjoy Halloween if uh, by the time you listen to this, you haven't had it yet. Have a happy Halloween, safe time with the kids. We'll see everyone next week. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next week when we'll continue to analyze and discuss market signals. Stay connected by following us on Twitter, at LPL, or at LPL Research. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. LPL Market Signals is presented and produced by LPL Financial. I'm John Lynch. And I'm Ryan Dietrich. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide or to construed as providing specific investment advice or recommendations for any individual security. Any economic forecast set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee the strategies promoted will be successful. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risks, including potential loss of principal. No investment strategy or risk management technique can guarantee return or eliminate risk in all market environments. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. This research material was prepared by LPO Financial, LLC. 
securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA, and SIPC. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered independent investment advisor, please note that LPL Financial is not an affiliate of and makes no representation with respect to such entity. The investment products sold through LPL Financial are not insured deposits and are not FDIC, NCUA insured. These products are not bank credit union obligations and are not endorsed, recommended, or guaranteed by any bank, credit union, or any government agency. The value of this investment may fluctuate. The return on the investment is not guaranteed and loss of principal is possible.